It's always good to have a Bible in your hand, so you can pay attention. You can be of noble spirits and check that everything I say is in the Bible, <laughs> like the, the Bereans of uh, the book of Acts. So let's uh, uh, look chapter 1. Let's read the first 25 verses. I'm only going to look at the first four verses this morning, but we're... Um, I'm going to spend the next few weeks looking at the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. So it's going to be a series that's not just in the morning, but in the evening as well. So this evening we'll look at verses 5 through to 25, um, but this morning we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. And um, I want to read those first 25 verses. Let's uh, hear God's words. Luke says... Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not, but, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
And when this, his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when, I, when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So this morning we're going to look at verses uh, 1 to 4. And just by way of introduction, I mean the, Bi- the Bible is, is a book with four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And uh, those four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. I'm sure you all know this. And all of the accounts have unique features about each one's unique in different ways. Um, And the writers of the other books, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, were at some point with Jesus in his earthly ministry. Uh, But Luke wasn't. Luke comes much later. Uh, Luke was probably a Gentile converted under Paul's preaching ministry uh, when he was traveling around Europe, uh, or Middle East and into Europe. And Luke uh, accompanied Paul uh, on his missionary journeys. And uh, so Paul would go and preach and and seek to plant churches in different places. And Luke would travel with him and help him in various ways. And he would hear and listen to all the stories. And um, and so this this book, uh, the book of Luke, is written probably around about AD 60, 30 years or so after Jesus' death. And Paul describes Luke as Luke the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. So it sounds like he was an educated man uh, who who knew about uh, health. He was a doctor, often called Dr. Luke. And uh, being well educated, he's likely a man who likes to look into things and to check things out. And that's really important for what he's about to say. Because one of the things that Luke tells us here is why and how this book came into being. uh, He's writing to his friend Theophilus in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Well, we don't know who Theophilus is. He's probably some wealthy man who, who is a Christian. Uh, the, his name means God lover, lover of God. Uh, maybe as a nickname or something. Uh, because he's a keen, committed Christian. But maybe he's thinking, well, how can I know all these things are true? And so he commissions Luke to write, uh, to, to research and write down the story of Jesus. And, uh, and that's under the patronage of Theophilus. And these four verses actually tell us four important things about the, how the account, this account of Jesus' life is recorded for us. Four verses and four important things that we need to know, from each, one from each verse. So follow with me in these verses, these opening verses. And the first thing to note is that the gospel is a factual story. 
The gospel is a factual story. In verse 1, uh, Luke tells us that certain things have been accomplished or fulfilled amongst us. Cer- in other words, certain things actually happened that are worth recording and writing down. And it's really important that we understand that about Christianity. That Christianity is fundamentally about what happened. About certain facts of history. Things that occurred that need to be recorded and known about. And people often get this wrong about the Christian gospel, about Christianity generally. Many people think that Christianity is just a a set of ideas that don't really mean anything in the real world, but they just help people kind of navigate the world with a few set of head-bound ideas. If I can just have these ideas in my head, that will make me feel better about life somehow. But they just think of Christianity as, as one, of a set, one set of ideas amongst a whole marketplace of ideas. So some people choose Christianity to make sense of their lives and try and navigate their way through life. Some people choose Islam. Some people choose Marxism. Some people choose all kinds of things. You know, a whole load of things that you can choose to navigate through life and try and make sense of it all. And people are, are often like uh, magpies. You know, you know what magpie is? Those black and white birds. We've got some of those in our gardens and they make a heck, you know, racket. <laughs> make a real noise all the time. But they co- magpies collect things. Collect shiny things. And people are like magpies with ideas sometimes. They sometimes don't all fit together. They just put them together and, um, and kind of use whatever they need in different circumstances. People can be like magpies. They just gather ideas to try and make sense of life. Because it seems good to them at the time. But without really necessarily knowing the factual basis of of those little beliefs that they have. And the result of that is that unwittingly evil is perpetrated in the world because of those certain ideas that people believe but have no basis in reality for. They have no basis in truth. Whether it's a political system or a man-made religious system or it's just a set of feelings that people have or a set of superstitions that people adopt, whatever it is, it leads ultimately to all kinds of evils. But Christianity is founded upon certain verifiable facts. Certain things that happened. And those, the facts that we really care about are the things that are centered around Jesus Christ. Who appeared into the world 2,000 years ago. And when he was fully grown, he, he preached and he taught. And he seems to have healed people and cast out demons and some kind of weird things that happen to people. 
He's done all these things and, and the crowds gathered around him and they saw him and they saw all these things happening to him and there were eyewitnesses to all that they saw. Things happened when Jesus came into the world. And not only did this Jesus do all these things, but he ended up getting himself killed in Jerusalem by the Romans in front of the crowds at the busiest time of the year. Right about the time of the Passover, when all of Israel is gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, Jesus is hung on a cross for all to see. And then there's more. Other things happened as well after that. Because his body was put into a tomb. And it was sealed up. And there was a, a Roman guard was put on the tomb. But amazingly, the tomb was empty. Found to be empty. The guards were gone. Or they'd fallen asleep. And the tomb was empty. And nobody could explain it. But more. Then he started appearing to people. He appeared to some women who came to to deal with his body after the Sabbath day. And they found the tomb empty. And then the disciples came and said, Don't believe these silly women. (laughs) And they came and they realized they were telling the truth. The tomb was empty. And then Jesus began to appear before the disciples, before these women. Before 500 other people, says Paul. People who saw the risen Jesus. Amazing things happened with Jesus. See friends, Christianity is not fundamentally a philosophical or even a moralizing system to live by. Christianity is about the facts and the identity of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, who accomplished a great deal amongst us. And so there's a story to tell about him. And it's this story of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven that propelled the disciples out into the world. And you know that they were committed to this message of Jesus Christ because they were willing to die for them. Almost all of them, I think, died in service of the gospel. They were willing to die for it. So compelling was, were the facts that they had witnessed. And so men and women seeing this in the the apostles as they traveled around the world became Christians they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ people who merely adopt an idea just as a matter of choice without any factual basis are not willing to die for what they believe in they always find a way not to die for it. But these apostles were willing to die for the gospel. And if something is true, and that something has 
implications that matter into eternity, as Jesus taught, then you're going to be willing to die for it too. If you're a Christian today, you're going to be willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know it's true. It's worth dying for. So the gospel is based on facts. It's all about Jesus Christ. Secondly, the gospel has been passed on uh, from eyewitnesses. So, you know, I said here earlier, Lucas was not present at the time of Jesus. So how did he come by the facts that he is, he is writing about? And so he gives that in verse 2. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the words have delivered them to us. So Luke is at the end of a chain of, of eyewitnesses passing on information to Luke. Who were those eyewitnesses? Well, of course, it includes those first disciples. Uh, the twelve, as the gospel writers tell us, and a number of women as well. Uh, people who were with Jesus at the time. And it's worth just noting, pausing for a minute, and thinking who those people were. They weren't celebrities. They weren't big, powerful, important politicians or rich entrepreneurs that everybody wants to listen to and pay attention to. And so on and so on. They were just ordinary people with ordinary jobs. Some were fishermen. Uh, some had you know, what you might call spicy occupations. Um, Simon the Zealot was a bit of a, a rebel. He wanted to kick the Romans out physically with sword. <laughs> uh, and Matthew, on the other hand, was, uh, he was in cahoots with the Romans. He was a tax collector. And he was under their thumb and served them. So you've got Simon on one side and Matthew on the other. But, you know, they're basically just ordinary people. Not special at all. And they become apostles. And that name, apostle, just means... Someone who is sent, a sent one. So Jesus is kind of a sent one, isn't he? He's an apostle, sent from heaven. But these, these apostles are sent by Jesus out into the world with a message. And, that, and so then they became known in the church. And so the, the story of Jesus starts getting spread through the preaching and teaching of the apostles. Um, and it's worth also noting that Luke is not actually appealing to these eyewitnesses because they're apostles. He doesn't mention apostles here. I mean, you could just imagine, you could say, well, you know, the apostles says so, the, the, the big important Christians say so. So we've just got to believe that. Uh, Luke doesn't say that. He says, that the important factor is, they were eyewitnesses. They saw it. They saw everything I'm talking about. And I'm passing that on to you now. What matters is what we saw. Not that these were important people in the Christian church. And this is why the Gospels are such unique documents in, amongst all the religious documents you can ever find. 
Because they are not merely a collection of stories with some sort of moral lesson behind them. I remember as a kid when I was growing up in the west of Scotland. And that's how it would be taught in the Sunday schools. You know, you read that Bible story because it's got a good moral lesson for your children. It's actually not about that at all. The big question is, what does it tell you about who Jesus is? Who is he? Who's this man? Because it's a record of what Jesus did. And so there are records of what people experienced in the presence of Jesus. And that's how you and I, this morning, we need to read the Gospels. We need to read them as presenting to us the facts of the person and the identity and the work of Jesus Christ. So that we can believe it. They present to us the evidence of the identity of this man, what he came to do for people like you and me. And he did things that are of cosmic and eternal significance. Cosmic because it affects the whole world. Eternal because it lasts forever. And you can't get much more important than that. So I would, I would urge you this morning, if, you haven't, if you're not doing this already, to, uh, to constantly have at the back of your mind, as we go through the next few weeks, looking at le- the, these chapters of Luke's Gospel, uh, have at the back of your mind, what is this telling me about Jesus? What is this telling me about Jesus that I need to take on board, that I need to understand? And as you do so, think to yourself, how should I respond to him? How should I, is he worthy of my trust that I may follow him? Well, the third matter we need to consider is where does this story actually come from? What's its origin? Was it a random, out of the blue set of events? Or does it fit into a bigger picture? Which brings us to the third point in the third verse. The gospel, you might, so you might be puzzled by this title, but I'll, I'll explain it in a sec. The gospel comes from above. The gospel comes from above. So you look at verse 3. And Luke is, going to, is explaining something of how it got from hearing, him hearing the eyewitness testimony to actually writing down what we have in our hands. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He says a couple of things about the process. Firstly, he says he's followed things closely. He's followed things closely. And I think that just means he's paid attention to the details. He's done his research. He has checked them out. You see, back in, you see if you look back in verse 1, He said that many people have tried to compile a narrative of of these events. So at the time that Luke is writing, there are lots of narratives going around. And you can perhaps imagine that some of those attempts to write a narrative are flawed. And I wonder how many of them exist today. One or two do still exist today. There are various so-called gospels that kick around. But they're full of strange ideas. And full of flaws, historical flaws and so on. 
but few of them are believed to be true. And this is what happens when somebody, some people think they know the story and write an account, but what do they do? They, they kind of fill in the gaps of the bits they don't, they don't understand or they don't know or they haven't seen. And they kind of interpolate between certain events and make up the story in between. And an example of that, let me just give you a kind of example. I don't know if this helps anybody, but you may know that uh, you know, the, the, the last series of The Crown is on TV at the moment. And um, it, it takes you up to the present day of the royal family. And I don't know if you've seen the reviews in the papers, but there are so many people who are saying, that didn't happen. <laughs> this didn't happen. That didn't happen. None of that happened. <laughs> so what's going on there? Well, Okay, the TV show is for entertainment. So you've got, to, you've got to write a story. You've got to tell people a story that entertains and enthralls people. That's what TV does. It doesn't necessarily make it true. You shouldn't believe it's history you're watching when you watch these dramatizations. And, but this is what could happen with Jesus. You get people who get bits of the story here and a little bit there and a snippet here and a snippet there. And you start writing this story. And so many people, verse 1, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have happened. There's many of those floating around. And so you can imagine all this sloppy writing that has, has crept into it. And Christians are beginning to get confused about Jesus, about his identity, about what he did. So what does Luke do? Well, with the help of his friend Theophilus, he does his research. And this is only 30 years after the death of Jesus. And there are still some people around to ask, to check the details. I have no doubt that Luke checked his sources. Uh, Paul speaks of those 500 in 1 Corinthians 15. The 500 are still alive today who saw Jesus rising from the dead. And Paul effectively is saying, and Paul was with Luke, Luke was with, with Paul, and Paul is effectively saying, you could go and check with all of those, or some of those people, that the things we're saying are true. See, it's still soon enough after Jesus' death for people to verify the truth of what is being said. So Luke has followed all things closely. The second thing he says about the process is he's put it into an orderly account. In other words, he's tried to put the information into an order that people can understand. It doesn't necessarily mean it's chronological order. If you, you cross-check Luke's gospel with other gospels, you'll find that things are sometimes in a different order. But the point is, they're all true accounts, drawing attention to certain aspects of Jesus' ministry so that his readers can understand what Jesus did. So there's two things about the process. But here's the main thing I want to get to. That this is a gospel from above. And there's something, I'm I'm sorry to do this to you, but there's something in the Greek that's not obvious in the English. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, And I I try not to do this, but I think it's actually really important. Uh, There's a phrase that, that Luke is ascribed to Luke here in verse 3. He says he has followed all things for some time past. That phrase, for some time past. The Greek word, I'll give you the Greek word for fun. 
anothen. And anothen means from above. It's not actually about necessarily time past. It means from above. This is a message that's come from above. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, I don't think he means... I don't think Luke means he's had some sort of out of body experience where he has received a vision from God somehow. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think what he's getting at is that he has seen this life of Jesus in these 30 years within the bigger context of the history of Israel and God's dealings with Israel. You see? So it's as it were, he is, he is getting a bird's eye view of the big picture of God's redemptive plan. And he is saying that message is from above. This is God's work that God is doing in history and it comes to, uh, to a peak, if you like, in Jesus Christ. That this is a message that he's followed closely, which is from above. And I think that's what he's getting at here. That he understands that not only do you have the life of Jesus, but you have uh, all the Old Testament that kind of looks forward to Jesus in all kinds of different ways. There are prophecies, there are signs, there are picture language, there are uh, hints and And kind of breadcrumbs, a breadcrumb trail that leads you to Jesus. And Jesus finally comes. And this is a whole story that's from above. This is from God. And he's seen that in the Old Testament there is a need for a Messiah. And that everyone who is reading the Old Testament intelligently, at the time of Jesus' birth, was looking forward to this Messiah and thinking, when is this Messiah going to come? And so Luke sees Jesus in this bigger framework of God's redemptive history. A God-given ancient framework that comes from above. And so Luke has this sense that everything he's about to write is not simply a record of events but a record of something planned from long ago. Something planned from above. In other words, the story of the gospel is not simply a biography of a man who walked on the earth, but it's a story of God working out his plans for mankind to redeem some of them for eternity. It's a story of a gracious plan to save people from their sins. Now friends, isn't this worth paying attention to? Are you in a position in your life where you're asking, what's what's life all about? What's history all about? What's it for? What does it mean? What What does existence mean? Does it have meaning? And maybe you're asking as well, why do things go wrong in my life? Why... Do things go wrong in the world? Why does it seem so, such a mess at times? And what can be done about it? Well, Jesus has the answers to that. 
Jesus is the answer to all human problems. Whether it's personal problems or national problems, wherever it may be, the answer is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what history is all about. It's all about what God is doing in his son. Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived by what you see in the news. As though those news things are the most important things that you need to be caring about. That's what an editor thinks you should be caring about. What you as a Christian should be caring about. is how Jesus Christ is working out his glory in the world. Through the church of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. And when you see trouble in the world... You should be on your knees and saying, how can we get the gospel into that situation? How can we get the gospel into that situation? Jesus has the answers. Well, let's, that brings us to the last point. The gospel is written, fourthly, to give us certainty about what we teach. Uh, verse 4, uh, Luke Gives the reason why he's telling Theophilus and us why he's writing. That he might have certainty about what has been taught about Jesus. He says it's possible that Theophilus has just heard the preaching, he's heard the stories uh, passed on from pre- person to person with no hard evidence. But when you have a chain like Luke has just laid out for us, uh, you can have more certainty of what you believe. Otherwise, you worry that you know, a process of Chinese whispers might be happening. You know, Chinese whispers. You start with a sentence at one, e- one end of the line, the game, and uh, everybody passes the sentence down, and by the end of the, the, the line, the, the sentence is totally different. <laughs> What's the famous one? Send reinforcements. We need to advance. <laughs> Send three and fourpence. We're going to advance. You know, it sounds the same. That's what happens. It gets messed up. But Luke is outlining here that this is no process of Chinese whispers. That we can have certainty because there's a verifiable chain of events. That's why we have the Bible. The Bible is here as the evidence of Jesus' life on this earth. The Bible is here as eyewitness testimony so that we can believe it. And we should read it that way. So that we can believe it too. And we can have certainty. Uh, often the people who are doubting most in life. The people who, who have what they call honest doubts. Are people who don't pay attention to what's here. People go to church and they don't read their Bibles these days. And they're full of doubts. Because they don't read what's here. Friends you need to read your Bibles. You need to pay attention to it. You need to recognize what it is. And say I believe this. I can believe this. It really matters because it's all about how you are related, how you relate to God and how God has made you. It's about the sin that's in your life that causes such a, a burden for you and all those around you. And how it ruins everything. It's all about the man Jesus Christ who came into the world as the promised king to deal with all the sins and carry out a rescue. To rescue people like you and me. So how can I be rescued? By coming to a certainty about the things we've been taught. And that's what faith in Jesus Christ is. Being certain about things that have been taught about him. Being certain that he came as, he was, as was promised. 
being certain that he suffered and died as planned, being certain that he rose again from the dead and that the tomb was empty, being certain that he alone is now the way to eternal life, being certain about these things. Friends, do you have that certainty today? Turn to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this explosive opening to a gospel. We thank you that he, that Luke is so honest with us. But he does so in order to help us to see how we should read the Bible. How we should accept it as eyewitness testimony. That we should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of this testimony. And therefore find eternal life. I pray, Lord God, that all of us would know that eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.